you're going to die. You're going to die. It's going to happen. Life is going to go on. And like many of you in your, your 20s and 30s, and, and uh, there's a few others in here as well. Thank you for being here. You're welcome to be here. This isn't a church just of young people, but our church specifically has a lot of young people in it. And so this passage this morning is very key for all of us, but it's especially key for you. That some of us, we think that this dawn of life, it's the beginning of life, is going to last forever. But what Solomon is going to say to us this morning, what God is going to say to us this morning through Solomon, I should say, is that you're going to die. That I am going to die. That our, our, our life is going to give out. And the question this morning is, how will that be lived Will it be lived with joy or will it be lived with a note of discontentment around every corner? Will, will you be driven by discontentment or will you be ultimately satisfied by the creator? Will you be driven by entitlement saying, I'm owed this, I deserve this, never quite actually getting what you believe that you deserve? And so this contentment is perpetuated through your life. Will you, will all of us go through life with a narcissistic view of everything that, happening, that happens, thinking that it is for me and that anything good comes from me? Let's just think, let's just look back through our lives and just think about your process this week. Many of the things that you did this week were to create happiness in your life. Many of those things. And you, you might say, well, I went to work and that doesn't necessarily create happiness. But really, there's a re residual benefit there, even if you don't love your job. And it's you get to eat. You get to wear clothing. You get to sleep indoors, perhaps. Many of the, the, the things that you have done with your time have been for the purpose of your own happiness. It, 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 if you're like me, I was feeling kind of blah at one point this week, and when I feel that way, I just kind of want to occupy my mind, and so I, you know, watch a movie with my wife. And so we watched a horrible movie, Interstellar. Have you seen this, this ridiculous movie? Whoever told me, Logan Graham, I think you told me it's a good movie. You're out of the church, all right? That movie is like three hours long. It didn't bring me joy. But I'll tell you this. I try to find things that bring me joy. I'll bet you you do the same thing. We, we try to bring some type of fulfillment into our life. And we make it ultimate in our lives. And we keep driving it, we keep driving it, we keep driving it. Until there's just this level of discontentment. There's this level of discontentment that happens in our lives to the point where we're always driven by it. But did you know that what God wants for you, that, God wants, that what God wants for your life is that you would find true joy, that you would find true enjoyment in your life every day, every moment of your life, that you would find true joy in the midst of that, that you would find a way to be able to enjoy the things that God has given you. But oftentimes, what we end up doing with our lives is we end up saying, God isn't the one that gave this to me. I gave it to myself. 
God isn't the one who gave this to me. I, I, I gave myself these skills. And even if you don't say that outright or audibly or actually think that in your mind, many times you act in that way, and I act in that way, that somehow I've done this. And so what I, I'm entitled to a job promotion or I am entitled to my wife responding to me in this way or I'm entitled to this. It ends up being a narcissistic, narcissistic view on our lives and we, at the core of who we are, each of us are narcissists. Think about how ridiculous this would be. If you, uh, let's say you just recently graduated, if you did, congratulations. But let's just say that you were uh, up on stage giving a speech at your graduation. You had some amazing grades or some type of a great person of some sort. And you got to stand up on stage and you got to be able to say right then and there, I, I am so absolutely grateful. I mean, you don't even know how grateful I am to myself for all the things that I've done to get me here. I mean, I, uh, I somehow created myself. I, I got myself out of bed. I went to school. I clothed myself. I've worked really hard, and I've done all of these things. All of us sitting in this graduation would say, number one, people don't normally say that. They say, I want to thank my parents, or I want to thank the professors, or I want to thank somebody here at some point. But if we were to stand on that stage and we were to say, I want to thank me for just being me. I'm just inherently, I'm just a good person, and I'm so thankful for me. Did you know that whether you audibly say that or actually think that or whether you don't literally think that, but subconsciously you live in a way that says, I've done this, I've made this happen. You know what's going to be sounding in your life? A note of discontentment. A note of discontentment over and over and over again. And you will be driven and you will be driven and you will be driven towards fulfilling yourself. And you say, well, I'm not really a driven person. You'll be driven to not be a driven person. To live in whatever type of peaceful setting that you want to be in. You'll be driven. And it'll be discontentment because you'll say, I'm not getting enough peace. I need to put this out of my life or that out of my life. And I need more, I need more, I need more. Or perhaps you will be driven to work even harder and even harder and even harder because true enjoyment in your life comes from the things that you get, and it may be the paycheck, and it may be the sense of uh, status, and it may be the house or the car that you drive, and some of you will be driven towards relationships, and that will be the penultimate thing in your life to the point where you say, that's the one thing that I'm going after, and that's where I find true joy, and that's where I find true uh, enlightenment in my life, is I'm, I'm after relationships. I, I need relationships, and I'm going to be fulfilling myself with relationships, but there will be a note of discontentment because here's the thing, you will never be fully content with any relationship in this life. You'll never be fully content with the job that you have. You'll never be fully content with the leisure that you're able to enjoy. You'll never be fully content. Why is that? Why is that? I think Solomon's going to tell us a little bit about that. But I can tell you this, that oftentimes what's going on in our life is that we don't even realize it. We don't even recognize it. Christians sitting here today, you and I, we don't even realize it. 
We don't even know. We don't even understand it, that somehow that I'm living this discontented life. I'm disobeying God on a regular basis and not enjoying what's happening in my life on a daily basis. Let's look at this passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. We'll begin there. We'll go through chapter 12, verse 8. He says, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment, remove vexation from your heart, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity or a vapor. They're meaningless. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The, grass, uh, the, the almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, that's pretty clear, right? Very clear. Let me just explain this last piece here to you. If you look at the, the last few verses there from chapter 12, it's one large run-on sentence. And what he says is this. Look at it again with me. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. He says, remember your creator when you're young before you get to the end of your life. Before you get to the end of your life. And he's, he's, he's saying, remember your creator. Before the sun and the light and the moon and all, everything is darkened. He views the end of life as being dark. It's getting darker and darker and darker. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about old age. And he's picturing an old house. And this is what the old house looks like. He says in verse 3 of chapter 12, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. What's he talking about? The keepers of the house, the arms of a man or of a woman, the keepers of the house, they begin to tremble. They begin to shake a little bit. He says, and the strong men are bent. The legs are weak. You have less power. The, the supports of this house are, are kind of giving out. The legs are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. What could he be talking about? Teeth. You're missing teeth. 
You're missing, you're missing things to be able to chew your food with. He says, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyesight is diminishing. You're losing your eyesight. And the doors on the street are shut. Hearing is fading. The door is shut. You can't hear as well what's going on outside. When the sound of grinding is low, no longer able. And what this means is no, that you're no longer able to hear what's, what's happening in life. And one rises up at the sound of a bird. You, you can't hear very well. But when you're trying to sleep in the morning, a bird chirps once and you're up. Your grandparents or perhaps you are a light sleeper. You know what that's like? You've heard people say, I, something woke me up and I can't go back to sleep. That's what he's talking about. He's saying the older you get, the more difficult it is to sleep. And then he says, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Vocal abilities are less. They're also afraid of what is high and the terrors are in the way. Fear of life's difficulties are consuming them. They can't go uh, up high, steep terrain. The almond tree blossoms. Your hair is turning gray. The grasshopper drags itself along. Your agility is lost. Not quite as spry as you used to be. The desire fails. This is an interesting note. That word desire is actually caper berry. It is a berry of a plant that's called a caper, the caper plant. So the word in the original language is the caperberry fails. He's talking about desire. There's two possible meanings. One, it stimulates appetite, but that's not exactly what it is. That's the cleaned up version. It's an aphrodisiac. So what's he saying? Desire fails, right? You've seen commercials before, the two bathtubs, things like that, you know? <laughs> desire fails. So your appetite for something is less. Why is he saying this? Why is he talking about this? Because he's saying, you're going to die. You're in the jungle, baby. Guns N' Roses, you don't remember that song? Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. You're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. Look it up, all right? You're going to die, and I'm going to die. Why is he telling us this? Because of this. Because there's something that happens as a young man or as a young woman. When all of these things aren't taking place in your life, there's something that happens in our heart that somehow says that I'm in control of these things, and I'm making these things happen. That somehow I'm, I'm causing this to take place. And it's, it's all about me. And Solomon is essentially saying this, that there's going to come a day when your skills and abilities are going to be knocked down. And you do not want to get to that day without having first remembered something. You don't want to get to the end of your life saying this, I was discontent all the time, and I kept chasing, and I kept chasing, and I kept chasing. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, I sacrificed everything. Family. I sacrificed everything. Integrity. I sacrificed everything. My job. 
I sacrificed it. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, I got joy at any cost that I could possibly find it. That's what he's saying. And he's saying the best cure is for you to become very acquainted with the very end of your life. The best way is to become very acquainted with the end of your life and to begin to walk through that process of all of this is going away. All of this is going to end. All of this is going to come to a close. Very uplifting message this morning on this fabulous Memorial Day, right? But that's what it requires. Go back to the top of the passage where he says this. He says, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. What's he saying? He's saying life is good. It's good to be alive as a Christian. You should be believing this. It's good to be alive. This life right here and right now can be good. We're not just waiting for that chariot in the sky to take us home. We're not just waiting for the sweet by and by. We are happy about this life. Life is good. It's sweet. Life is good. Do you believe that? He says, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. He says, the, what you need to know is this. We're talking to young men and women here especially, and he's saying, if you're going to live many years, let them rejoice in them all. That all of your life, and so we're not just talking about your youthful years, but we're talking about the end of life as well. I believe what Solomon's trying to tell us here is he's saying, if you don't start right, you're not going to end right. If you don't start right here and right now, enjoying God's good gifts, you're not going to enjoy it later. So he goes on and he says, he says this, rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice in them all, but be very acquainted with the end. This, this note has been sounded all the way throughout Ecclesiastes. If you were to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, it says, There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? Look at what he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Ecclesiastes 3.22, so I saw that there's nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work. 5.18, find enjoyment. God has given wealth. Rejoice, the gift of God. Joy in his heart. Chapter 8, verse 15, I commend joy. Be joyful. Chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, go eat your bread with joy, with a merry heart. Enjoy life. Do you think Solomon wants us to be joyful? Do you think Solomon wants us to be joyful? I think he does. I think he does. Why is he telling us this? Because we don't live with joy. We live with entitlement. We live with entitlement on a regular basis. I should have this by now, 
My wife should be providing this for, for me. My husband should be doing this for me. I'm entitled, I'm entitled, I'm entitled, and I'm not just enjoying the wife of my youth or the husband of my youth. I'm not just enjoying the good gifts in life, but I'm, I'm wanting more, I'm wanting more, I'm wanting more, and we're never quite satisfied. And so where does that leave us oftentimes? Down roads that we don't want to go. It's what leads to crotchety old men who are never happy with anything. It's what leaves you as an old woman who's never satisfied with the relationships that she's had, or the connections of the friends or anything. And so what's, what is the answer to this? We kind of know what Solomon's going to tell us here, but let's just talk for a second about what our culture's going to tell you. Our culture says this, that you should search out whatever makes you happy. And in fact, many times the graduation ceremony goes like this, that you should search out at any cost whatever makes you happy. Do what you want to do and figure out how to get paid for it or just go out there and make something happen. It's part of America. It's, it's this idea that like never be satisfied, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And underneath that lies this idea that's perpetuated all the time, which says this, that if it makes you happy, then it's right. If this makes you happy, then you are the ultimate judge of what that should be. You are the one that should be able to say what uh, sexuality is, and so therefore you should be able to fulfill that in whatever way you see fit. You should be able to fulfill uh, your longings. And if you're not getting it from your spouse, then you should go outside of that because that's what makes you happiest. You've got to be happy. So get rid of that trash husband or that wife who won't provide and go and make yourself happy. But does anybody here think that those types of statements really lead to ultimate happiness? I mean, just looking at the family, and let's talk about this for a second, like looking at the family, like fatherlessness is one of the biggest problems in our world, and even more so in our country. It's fatherlessness that drives crime oftentimes. Our own president says this and is driving various things towards that. We need more fathers. We need dads in the home. We need men in the schools who are willing to mentor young, young men. Does anybody believe that the ethic that says that I should do whatever makes me happy applies to that as well? All of us would say, well, no, not there. So really, does that, can that ethic be spread out all over our life? That I should be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want? Because eventually my rights and my happiness infringe on the rights and happiness of other people. And so what does he say next? He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. That sounds a little bit like our graduation ceremony. Just let, let it all out. 
Do what you want to do. Look at what he's going to say next. Walk in the ways of your heart. Good graduation ceremony stuff. And the sight of your eyes. Whatever you see, it's yours. Go after it. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Solomon says this. He says, you need to be aware of one thing. You can go after whatever you want. You can, you can go, you can strive and you can strive and you can strive. There's just one caveat, and that is that God will bring you into judgment. There's a sobriety that comes as a result of that. It, it, it sobers us in this way, which says there is an ultimate judgment that will take place. You can go after your happiness if you want. You can go after your ultimate happiness. And indeed, Solomon is saying, you should be happy. You should enjoy the gifts that God has given you. But you need to know this, that if you misuse that, you will come into judgment. And I believe the other thing he's saying here is this. If you refuse to enjoy the gifts that God has given you, you will also come into judgment. The command to enjoy your life and to, and to enjoy the things that God has given you is as much a command as anything else. Enjoy life. Enjoy the work that you have. Enjoy what you've been doing. Enjoy the things that God has given you to be a part of. It's not just like, hey, it'd be nice if you were happy. No, it's a command. Like, you need to enjoy life. And too many Christians are caught in this, like, this idea that somehow I shouldn't enjoy life. I find myself in the midst of like awesome circumstances just going, I feel bad. I feel like I should not enjoy this fully. Like God has been too good to me, but God is sitting there saying, no, enjoy life. Know that you will come into judgment for things that do not fall in line with who I am, but enjoy life. What keeps us from that? Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. What's he saying? He's saying remove vexation from your heart. Remember what he said earlier, let your heart cheer you in verse 9. He says remove trouble from your heart. Remove this idea of always kind of being just a little bit edgy, a little bit discontent. I'm not quite satisfied with this pay. I'm not quite satisfied with this spouse. I'm not quite satisfied with this grade. I'm not quite satisfied with these friends. What he's saying is he's saying this. I mean, there's some trouble that you can't remove. There's things that are happening to you that you don't have any control over. What he's saying is he's saying this. Remove the trouble that you're putting on your own self. Remove that trouble. Remove the things that are causing you to constantly be going after more and after more and after more and saying it's all about me and it's all about my happiness and it's all about the things that I want. Remove it. Remove the pain. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. There's some pain that we cause ourselves. There's some pain that we're, we're bringing on ourselves thinking that somehow 
this is helping me. Maybe I deserve this. Maybe I'm striving after something so hard that it's bringing pain. It's bringing trouble in my life. And oftentimes it results in the breakdown of your marriage. Ends up being, being fired. Ends up being found out. And it's because you've allowed trouble in your life. You've allowed trouble in your life. You've allowed pain in your life. And it's because somehow you think that this youthfulness will never end. And Solomon has taken a walk down memory lane. And it's almost like I keep thinking of uh, the movie or the, the book, A Christmas Carol. How Scrooge has walked through past, present, and future. And he's, he's walking through life with these various ghosts. This is not biblical, by the way, but... And he's looking at his life as he goes on. And he's looking at his past. And he's looking at his present. And he's looking at his future. And if you read the book at all, the thing that you'll see, it's like, it's too much for me. He looks at what takes place and he mourns over what's happened. He looks at his life and he's, he's mourning the loss. I was, I was thinking about this, this uh, the movie, really, and began reading the book as a result of this sermon and there's an interesting spot in the book with the ghost of Christmas past. And it says that Scrooge has gotten along in life. And it's kind of shown him some, some happy times, some happier times, some sad times as well. But then he brings him into this room where he's sitting with his former love, his girlfriend. And he's sitting there with her, and, and, and the book describes his face isn't quite ruddy, but you could see in his eyes that something has changed. He's gone from a boy, he's kind of coming into his prime, it says, and something's changed in him. And his girlfriend says this, she says, it matters little, she said softly, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me. If it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. And he says, what idol has displaced you? She says, a golden one. And then she says this, she says, Scrooge, you fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of poverty's reach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? She comes to him and she says this. There's something that's replaced me. And he says, what's replaced you? And she says, gain. A golden idol. You've been after gain. You've been striving and you've been striving and you've been striving. 
And she says, I've seen your nobler aspirations. All the good things that you've been hoping for, they're falling off one after another. It's gone and it's gone and it's gone until something has fully taken root in your life. And you have this master passion in your life that's taken so hold of your life that it engrosses you. It's got hold of you. You know what? This is no different than what the scriptures say. It's that you can go after so many different things. You can go after so much stuff. And if you think for a second that you're not caught in that, I, I want to tell you that that's probably not true. We are Americans. We thrive on stuff. We thrive on constant, constant entertainment. We thrive on constant enjoyment. We thrive constantly on trying to kill pain any way we see fit. What ends up happening is this, is that there is a master passion that takes place over your life and over my life. And what she says later, she says, you've become a different person. You've become a different person altogether. And you know what? The same thing's going to happen to you. You know what the cure for Scrooge was? To see himself dead. See all the hurt and all the pain that he's caused. And Solomon is saying the same thing to you. Let's take a walk through your life. Let's just walk through your childhood for a second. What are the things that have shaped you? What are the things that have been passed on to you from parents or from mentors or from relationships? Like what shapes your personality today? Like what are the things that cause you to act the way that you do? For Scrooge, it was different events in his life. What, what's it for you? It shaped you in a particular way, and it's, and it's created a master passion. What is your master passion? And oftentimes, it simply is this. It's gain. I need more of something else. I don't have enough. And walk through your present. Like, what's, what's it like right now? Like, if you were to hit pause in your life, and you had the advantage of walking with the ghost of Christmas present for a second. Never mind how weird that would be, but let's just say it happened, right? And let's just take a walk through your life. And let's just stand in the back of the room when you're with your kids. And let's just stand in the back of the room when you're at work. And let's just peer in on you. And let's just see what your master passion is. And then let's fast forward a little bit and let's just go to your future and let's just project for a second what that's going to be like. And Solomon has created a vivid picture. The keeper of the house is going to shake and the knees are going to bend and your teeth are going to give out. I know you've got a dental plan, but you get the picture, right? Life is going to come to an end. And do you want to be sitting on your deathbed thinking about how you didn't enjoy your life? You look at your past and you say, they created these master passions in me. 
It came from me. It came from my surrounding, whatever it did, nature, nurture. You look at your present and you go, yeah, that's what I was about. And then you get to your future and there's been no joy. There's been no true joy. The assertion of Christianity is this, that there is no possible way to enjoy life without God. Chapter 2, verse 25, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That's the assertion. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That's what it's saying. That's what it means. So how do you do it? Well, you got to let your heart cheer you. You have to let your heart cheer you. So let's walk through some mental exercises here. Let, slow your breathing down, right? Um, count to 10 before you get angry. Um, think about all the good things in your life. Let's just, let's just Google this right now. How can I be happy? But I just want to tell you, this, as long as it's dependent on you, you can't do it. You know why? Because I'm pretty sure that I can't do it. Because I've tried. As long as that somehow I'm in me and I'm going, I need to create this sense of happiness. I need to enjoy. I need to enjoy. I need to enjoy. My heart's not cheering me. What's happening is I'm just kind of lost. I'm just, I'm just further lost, further lost, further lost. So how does God actually come into our lives and change us? Solomon gives us a pretty dang good indicator when he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember not just that he's God. Remember that he is the creator. So standing on the graduation stage and saying, I just want to thank Matt for how incredible Matt is doesn't work with God. You can't stand in front of God and just say, God, I'm so thankful for me. I'm so thankful for all of my incredible qualities and how I've developed myself low these many years and how I've impacted my uh, community and it just doesn't work. Solomon says this, get a good idea of your death, of what's coming. Because what, what really needs to be taking place What's really going to change your mind is remembering your creator. And who's our creator? Hebrews 1 says this, long ago, 1-1, one, one, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus, through whom he created the world. Remember your creator. What's it say next in Hebrews? He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Do you know what you and I say? We say, I uphold my universe by the word of my power. I'm the one who creates anything good. I'm the one who's given me all these skills and abilities. But he's the one who upholds the world by his power, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
How do you remember your creator? It's got to begin with understanding who your creator is. There's no way to know your creator without Jesus Christ. There's no amount of just saying, okay, I believe there's a creator and I'll just thank him. This, this lampshade will be my creator and I'll just enjoy that. No. The creator God is Jesus Christ. He's been shown to us. The creator God. And more than him just being this creator. But he's the one who made purification for sins. He's the one who's completely made purification for sins. And what does that mean? It means this. All of my efforts to try and cheer myself with my heart fall flat unless I know my creator. Unless I remember him. All of my efforts, they fall flat unless I remember him. But then you say this, but I forget him sometimes. And I walk through life and I forget him. And I do too. What's Jesus say to that? He says he has a little special backup plan for us. He says in John chapter 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know what's happening when it's just us? You know what's flowing out of our heart? Death water. Because what's spewing out of us is it's saying, I'm responsible for these things. I've made them happen. And you know what's flowing into our society? Death water, fatherlessness, divorce, crime, cheating. It's saying this, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. Do you know what's flowing out of my heart? Death water. But Jesus says, when you know the creator, when you know who he is, out of his heart will flow living water. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And what this means is this, is that you're not on your own. And what you can really say is that from my heart, I can begin to cheer myself because of this, because out of my heart flows living water. And so what's available to me right here and right now is living water in my life. And I can bring living water to my relationships. And I don't have to strive, and I don't have to go after, and I don't have to keep doing this and keep doing that. I don't have to have this note of discontentment or entitlement or narcissism throughout my life because of this. Out of my heart flows living water and not death water into my family, my relationships, my work, my school. Out of my heart flows living water. And Paul says this in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. And he's talking about this. He's saying, we've got an eternal home. And so even though we're getting old, and even though our teeth are going to fall out and our knees are going to bend and our hearing is going to go away and we're not going to be able to see, 
we get to look back over our life and we get to say this. I knew that the dawn of my life, that the time when I, when I, had, when I had lots of energy, there was lots of desire there, there was lots of skill there, it was lived to give honor to my creator. And I get to rest not in the works that I've done, but in the fact that my hope is truly in my creator and it's not in myself. And I get to look forward to the end of my life. And so when I get walked through Christmas future, it's not a horrible picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. Because my life is wasting away, but I, my hope isn't here. My hope's in my creator. And he's the one that brings me joy, and it's joy unspeakable. You know what it means? It means I get to be present in life with my kids. And I don't have to sit there, guys, and think about what's next, what's next. I just get to be present because God is commanding me to be in the moment and enjoy my kids. And I don't have to constantly be wondering, like, where's another relationship? And where, where's this? Where's that? Because I get to enjoy the relationships that I have right now. And I don't have to strive for a greater paycheck. It may be good to work hard, but it doesn't have to be my master passion. I get to enjoy my work. I get to enjoy God. And I get to enjoy the end of my life because it was a life lived well in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? The difference is between someone has, who has given their life to Jesus Christ and God has saved and someone who has not. True enjoyment will not come from you trying to find enjoyment. True enjoyment in life will come through recognizing your creator, Jesus Christ, how he went to the cross for you, paid the penalty for all of your screw-ups and all of my screw-ups, and he paid it. And you get to receive it by faith. And you should not put it off today. You should give your life to Jesus Christ. You may not even know what that means. It means this. Study him. Know him. Honor him. Enjoy him. Love him. Read his word. Be a part of his people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us your table to remember you. And so, Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, as believers, to say thank you through your broken body and your shed blood for us. Lord, we remember what you've done for us on the cross, and we thank you and we praise you for that. And, Lord, we ask for a greater realization every day of what you've done, that we may remember our Creator daily and not be entitled narcissists who are constantly discontent, but, Lord, that we'd be joyful people that have streams of living water and not death water flowing out of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.